Good morning. Good morning. I think it was a couple weeks ago I mentioned um, a work of literature from earlier years that many people had to read in school. Another one of those is uh, the story of Dr. Jekyll and uh, Mr. Hyde. Um, Do you remember that story? Uh, You know, it's amazing how you might know the phrase, but we don't know all the background. But um, evidently in this novel, it wasn't a true account, uh, but there was a, a scientist who, when he, his name was Dr. Jekyll, but when he drank this potion, he turned into something that was very different. This was like predating the Hulk in all those days, but something similar along those ideas. That's probably where they got the idea. And, and it reflects a duality of human nature that I don't think was limited to that particular individual. You can see any number of memes and, um, and, and, and hear jokes about people that uh, before they drink their coffee, <laughs> they're like a Mr. Hyde. And they drink their coffee and then things begin to, to calm down. There, there are some individuals that uh, you, you might it heard it said, of, of whom you might have heard it said, I never know if I'm going to find a Dr. Jekyll or a Mr. Hyde. You don't know what you're going to get. Well, that duality is everywhere we look. The tendency is to think that it's more negative than positive, and there might be some truth to that. You know, we're overwhelmed to a point of oversaturation of bad news for those who spend a lot of their time looking at the news either through TV or printed media or through the uh, Internet. Most of what you see is pretty negative. And it seems that even when we want to do something good, we have this amazing, uncanny ability of creating havoc and destruction. Did you hear about the uh, the gender reveal party for a couple out in Arizona? Uh, the gentleman was um, a Border Patrol official. He was off duty, decided to have uh, a gender reveal party for their upcoming birth. So what he did was he packed the proper color of dust in this container and packed it with an ingredient very similar to dynamite, got off a ways with a high-powered rifle and shot it, and it exploded, and there was blue dust everywhere, so everybody knew that it was a baby boy. It's a little more complex than just cutting a cake and seeing blue cake. But then what happened was the explosion in this extremely arid situation in Arizona The grass caught on fire. They ran for their lives. It was later called the Sawmill Fire, burned 47,000 acres. The man was fined and convicted, and he agreed to, in the plea deal, to pay $8 million. Now, I don't even know how that happens, right? It's like, well, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I'll pay $8 million. Let me just sign on the line. If... The government is true to its word. He will literally be paying. They took a big chunk, and now he's got to make a monthly payment until he dies. And he'll never have it paid off. Even when we want to do something so fun and innocent, our human nature has a way of turning it into the worst of situations. 
But then on the other hand, we get together with family and, 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 and we hold a, a grandchild, uh, six months old, uh, who happens to be named Weston, and, and we're just playing with the child and, and, and we see this innocence. I, I mean, this baby doesn't care that I have a master's degree in theology doesn't care that I'm the lead minister of a church. This baby, if he's not happy, will cry and let me know it. It's like, respect respect the position, bro. No, he's going to cry. And then it doesn't take anything like, except some younger son of mine to just get goofy in front of his, and, and then he's the happiest thing in the world. Just so transparent, genuine, honest, and sincere. We used to all be like that, and then we grew up, and we grew jaded, and then we began any number of different kinds of problems. You know, this tension between what is good and what is bad, who is good and who is bad, gets reflected in every aspect of life. Earlier this year, um, MTV hosts their annual awards and uh, Chad, Chadwick Bozeman won the award for the best hero. You know who Chadwick is? He, he's the, uh, uh, the actor who played Black Panther. One of the few movies, there's just like 33 movies that have made over a billion dollars. And Black Panther is the recent, most recent, and one of those. Well, he, when he was given award, given the award, he accepted it very graciously. But then immediately he gave it away to somebody else. He said, now, there's someone in the audience here. It was a guy named James Shaw, Jr. That he said is a real hero. Shaw was the guy that was in the Waffle House outside of Nashville when there was a gunman killing people. And he intervened and prevented more loss of life. I think four people did die. And so he gave the Best Hero Award, this actor, for being a hero on screen on a movie set, gave the best hero award to this gentleman who was truly a hero. He said, it's one thing to play a hero in a movie. It's another to be a hero in real life. You know, I think most of us go through life bouncing between being heroes and villains. And even when we want to be heroes, we end up being villains. Occasionally, as a villain, we might be a hero. Do you know that duality of the human heart is, is well documented in Scripture? We began this journey through the Bible um, in Genesis. And I think that's probably the moment in that Garden of Eden when humanity was at its best. There was this innocence and transparency in adults. They weren't self-conscious about what they were wearing or what they looked like. They were concerned only about their relationship with one another and their relationship with God. There was that sense of God's purity and goodness being reflected in their own lives. They walked hand in hand with God. And then we've gone through any number of different texts where that image of God in them has been tarnished. Well, in Psalm, <clears throat> Psalm chapter 8, we see... David uh, reflecting on the starry sky and just thinking about the universe and all that has been made and just overwhelmed by the, the, the marvelousness of this creation. And then he says, and he's thinking, and he says, wow, and, and of all that and all of the heavenly creatures, you made humans just a little bit short 
a little bit shy of being heavenly creatures. You crowned human beings with, with glory and honor. And what he's saying is that all of us who have been made in the image of God, every single human being, has been crowned with God's glory. And we have some of those godlike qualities and characteristics in our life. We have inherited through his image the ability to be some of the best people on earth. We have that capability. But unfortunately, the best of the best among our tribe still falls short. And while we like to compare ourselves to one another, and I'm not as bad as this person or that person's a whole lot worse than me, it would be like the difference in the worst of sinners being at the bottom of a well and the best of us being on top of the Alps or the tallest mountain on earth and boasting about our stature and our position and when the expectation is, is that we touch the stars. What's a couple thousand feet when you're talking about millions of miles? And so in the first few chapters of Romans, Paul emphasizes that point that when you really get down to it, there's not a single person who's really good on earth. The Jewish people thought they were the good ones. They had the law. They had a relationship with God. They had a history. Paul says, no, not so much. The good people are bad. And then the bad people, the Gentiles, they knew they were bad. So when you have a situation where the good people are bad and the bad people are bad, you end up with the conclusion that all have sinned and all stand guilty before God. But we know that God is love. And so God wants to forgive. He's open and he has his arms wide open to forgive us. And that's a message that we're very comfortable with and we are attracted to. And in and, and stories like the prodigal of the parable, uh, the parable of the of the prodigal son, resonate because we all feel like that prodigal. Very few of us would identify overtly with the older brother. We all feel like the prodigal that is coming back home and looking for those open arms. God is love, but God is also just. And that justice of God is not something that we're quite as comfortable with because the justice of God demands that sin has to be paid for. Someone has to buy this object. Someone has to pay for this sin. The law was broken. And so the challenge that Paul is struggling with is how does a loving God who wants to forgive Deal with a just God who demands some sort of punishment for the sins that have been committed. I mean, we know all too well what injustice feels like. This last week, the police officer who shot and killed Botham Jean, the graduate of Harding University who was working in Dallas, who was in his apartment watching a football game by himself when someone came through the door 
and shot and killed him. That police officer was initially charged with manslaughter, but charges have been upgraded, and she has been charged now with murder. So on the day of, of court, she has confessed. There are not, the 911 calls where she's saying she just shot somebody, there's not a doubt that she did it in her own mind or in anyone else's mind. So on that day, as she stands before the judge, says, you're guilty. But I'm in a good mood today. There's no penalty for you. You're free to go. I can't even begin to imagine the outrage that Botham Jean's parents and all of the African-American community and anyone else who loves justice in this world would feel at that particular moment, that's not right. You just can't do that. You can't act like it doesn't matter. And yet that's what we want God to do. We want God just act like it never happened. Just wipe it out. And that sense of injustice because of the sins we've committed and the things we've done just can't go away. Something has to get done with that. So the same injustice that we might feel at a lack of justice on earth, multiply it like a million times and you have a sense of God's sense of injustice or his need for justice. And Paul says, how do we reconcile this? How do we get our heads and our minds and our hearts around something like that? So in Romans chapter 3, after saying there is no one righteous, not one. Then in verse 21 and following, he writes a paragraph that many have referred to as one of the most concise and heavily packed paragraphs in all of Scripture. I'm using the uh, English Standard Version on the screen because it uses some of the language that we might be familiar with, but I want to use that language to unpack our ideas. So Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and following reads, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Uh, up to this point, the only way that you could even have a chance of a right relationship with God was through the law. And Paul is saying now there's a way that God has determined where you can have a right relationship with him and not have anything to do with the law, and that is through faith, belief, and trust in Jesus Christ. For there is no distinction between Jews or Gentiles, between rich people and poor people, between educated and uneducated. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified, that's one of the words, justification by his grace as a gift through the redemption. That's another word we're going to come back to that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, you might have heard that word at some point in your past, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Verse 26, 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. And the justifier, the one who gives justification of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, as Paul wrestles with this tension of us being capable for something really good, but at the same time be capable for something horrendously bad, he's trying to make sense of how do we enter into a right relationship with God? How does that work? How does it happen? And he uses three images to describe this relationship on how God has dealt with our sin through Jesus Christ. The first that he uses that we're going to mention the first here is uh, redemption. Uh, re- redemption comes from a context of slavery. And, and, and redemption is the word that was used to buy back a slave or to buy a slave out of slavery. It's the word used in the Greek version of the Old Testament, but it's the word used when God redeemed the Israelites out of Egypt, when he purchased their freedom. And it's the same word that God has used for us when Jesus buys us out of slavery so that we can be free to enjoy the life that he's given us and that he wants for us. Now, I don't know whether you feel like a slave outside of work. That's, that's kind of a separate thing, right? But in terms of, of your life, if you feel enslaved to behaviors or actions, you know, we just got through Thanksgiving, and, and it might not have been said at your house or at your table or in your mouth, but many people say something like, well, it's Thanksgiving. It's only one time a year, right? Let's go ahead and have another piece of pie. Or, wow, there's pumpkin and pecan. Well, you've got to try them both, right? Some of you have heard, and, and I don't know if I've heard it off of your lips, but some of you have heard the phrase, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. There is talk of... Married couples giving each other a pass. Well, well, the problem with all those things is that if you decide to step outside the limits for one thing for one time, our human nature is that once we taste something, it's hard to stop from going back. Once vacation's over, it's hard to stop eating that extra piece of pie. Once you do whatever it is you did in Vegas, it's hard once you come back to say, oh, okay. You know, if you think about it, I would venture to say that just about every sin that you are committing right now in your life, it's not the first time you've done it. And if we know that it's not right, and we know it's not what God wants, and we know it's not in our best interest, Why do we keep going back to that watering hole? There's something about our human nature that once we've tasted it, we've got to have more. It's what happens with drug addiction, alcohol addiction. It's what happens to marital affairs and infidelity. It's what happens with abuse. And you think of something that's so outside the realm 
of what is normal behavior hitting your spouse and your children and yet in Christian circles it happens all too often and you think after a guy has done that or sometimes it's a wife but after a person has done that and they realize it and they're on their knees crumpled human beings begging for mercy why in the world would they go back? Well when I yell and scream and beat people up, it makes me feel powerful. It makes me feel like I have control. And I hate what it does to you, but I love how it makes me feel. And the things that just don't make sense and shouldn't make us feel better, we end up going back to because we become enslaved. Well, Jesus is the redemption for us. He paid a price so that we wouldn't have to continue to be slaves to those desires, those intentions, and to that owner who is Satan. The, the second word he uses is that word propitiation. Now, if you grew up in church, you might have heard it before from an older translation. Uh, the ESV is a relatively new translation, but they maintain the older language, <clears throat> the older vocabulary. But, but that basically is the word that refers to what happened on top of the Ark of Covenant where the wings of the seraphim would meet together and the, covered the mercy seat. It's the word for mercy seat. And it refers to that place where God would blot out, would pay for, would forgive through the blood of the sacrifice the sins of the individual coming forward. And Jesus is our Propitiation. He is the sacrifice. By his blood, God is satisfied. You know, every couple months we have the blood mobile here. And I don't know if you've ever needed blood for surgery or a transfusion, but that's where that blood goes. With all the illnesses that we've had and all the situations we've gone through in life and everything that we've been through, even with all that our blood can still help cure someone and still give them life. And if that's true, then how much more would the blood of Jesus be able to cleanse and cure and purify? And so the blood of Jesus is so strong and so powerful that every time we fall short of God's glory, whether it's the first time or the 5,000th time, Five millionth time, Jesus' blood is so strong it can wash us free of the disease of sin. The third image he uses comes from the courts. Redemption comes from the world of the slaves and the marketplace. Uh, propitiation comes from the world of the temple where uh, um, the mercy seat. And, and the third word comes from the courts, and that's justification. It's a forensic term that means to declare someone free of the penalties of their actions. One author says, no expression in the book of Romans is more startling. God, the all-knowing and all-holy judge, looks the wicked sinner square in the eye and justifies him, declares him righteous, acquits him, pardons him, sets him free, and cries, 
no penalty for you. Because Jesus paid the penalty. Jesus paid the cost. And so, as Paul indicates, this is a gift. This is available to every single person who has sinned. There's nothing you have to do to earn this. We accept it by faith and we live our life through faith in a way to receive this wonderful gift that God gives. In the same MTV Awards that I mentioned earlier, um, uh, Chris Pratt uh, won the Generation Award. Now, I don't spend a lot of time on MTV uh, every now and then just to see what the young people are watching. Well, it's not even young people anymore, I guess, right? In his acceptance speech, he gave nine rules to live by. I read them in the newspaper. If you read them or watch them, just be forewarned that some of his language is directed at young people, and so it might not be the most comfortable language. But this was projected live on TV. His rule number nine, his ninth, nobody is perfect. And he's speaking to his generation. People will tell you that you are perfect just the way you are, and you are not. You are imperfect, and you always will be. If you are willing to accept that there is grace, you will have grace. And grace is a gift. Like the freedom we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood. Don't forget that. Do not take that for granted. Chris Pratt's not a preacher. Don't even know if he goes to church. Sounds like he used to go to church. But that's the gospel. We are imperfect. But Jesus is perfect. And the way Jesus' perfection and our imperfectness matches is through faith. Trusting and believing. We are created and have been created to live gloriously. We are crowned with glory and honor. And every now and then we live up to that potential. But most of the time we don't. And the way that God can live with us is through the sacrifice of his son who declares us free from the consequences spiritually of our sin. So we accept by faith the gift of Jesus. Like slaves, we've been set free. Like worshipers in the temple, the blood of the sacrifice cleanses us. And like a guilty person before a judge, we have been declared innocent and free from the consequences of our sin. A few chapters later in Romans, Paul's going to say that one of the ways we demonstrate this faith and this process of faith is through baptism. And then chapter 8, he's going to say, then the Spirit empowers and lives within us to give us the strength for new life. And that's the message of the gospel. God is love. And the way he makes peace with himself and the world and us is through Jesus Christ. And that gift we receive through faith. I can't earn it. I can't buy it. 
I can't be good enough to deserve it. But I can, in humbleness and with sincere humility, receive it. Mm -hmm. If we can help you in that way today, if we can help you with any struggle in your life that you'd like us to pray for, um, Bob Perkins will be here to to pray for you and to receive you. Uh, Let's all stand and sing. Tempted in time.